We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. After a disappointing loss in game one, the Knicks had a breakthrough in game two with a huge comeback win at the Garden, but the trip to Atlanta has not been kind to Tom Thibodeau and his squad. And now the Knicks enter game five on Wednesday, playing for their playoff lives just one game away from elimination. Hello and welcome to the Putback with Ian Begley playoff special. We are presented as always by 88 Sport. Bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY88. I'm Chris Williamson alongside SNY NBA insider Ian Begley. We are joined as always by CP of Knicks Fan TV, the founder, the CEO, the boss, and also joining us this week is Ashley Nicole Moss, who does a great job on several outlets, including Knicks Fan TV and on SNY as well, where she is a contributor on Geico Sports Night. We are live on SNY's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages, and you can get involved in the comment section throughout this entire stream. But as always, we tip things off with the baseline. And Ian, simple question off the top. Are you surprised that we're at this point with the Knicks facing elimination on Wednesday? I am. I am. Four or five series. I would expect it to be closer than this. And I also would have expected the Knicks to defend better, given their track record over the regular season. But, you know, several things that happened during the regular season haven't happened so far in the playoffs. The defense hasn't been to that level where it was in the regular season. Also, Julius Randle, obviously, the shooting, the playmaking hasn't been there for him. And then you look at the pieces around Julius. You know, Reggie Bullock scoreless on Sunday. Alec Burks, big game one. Hasn't done a lot the last two games. R.J. Barrett down most of the series. Better Sunday. A lot of these things had surprised me based on what we've seen from this club in the regular season. Yeah, it seems like everything is going wrong for the Knicks, you know, at the worst time of the season in the playoffs when it really matters. And let's start with uh, CP and then we'll go to Ashley. I want you to listen to this quote from Clint Capella. Uh, They're trying to play tough, talking about the Knicks pushing our guys around, talk, bleep, but we can do that too. And we showed them as soon as we came back here, we can push guys around too. We can talk, bleep as well. So what are you going to do about it? We can get a win with it too. So what are you going to do about it? Now we're coming to your home to win this game and we'll send you on vacation. CP, those are fighting words, dog. 
Man, it's uh, it's tough to hear that, Chris. But you know, the Knicks have to show that they can back it up. And being down three-one in this series, they've been dominated, especially in Atlanta, right in front of my eyes. I've been at both games, and there hasn't been much to cheer about. And Clint Capella's right. This Atlanta team has been physical with the Knicks, whether it's Capella. It's Hunter, it's Collins, it's Bogdanovich. You know, they can play that way too. They, they've been blowing the doors off the Knicks offensively and defensively, they found a way to take away our strength. So, you know, the Knicks have been chippy back with them, but they just haven't had much to, to counter. Uh, this, this Atlanta attack has been pretty lethal. And right now we're down three to one. And so if the Knicks want to bounce back, they're going to have to do so by letting their play do the talking. And Ashley, what, what about you? How, how do you feel? How did you take Capella's comments and, and what the Knicks should do uh, from there? Listen, when you're up 3-1, you can kind of talk this talk, right? This is just, you know, the privilege of winning or at least leading in a series. And the only way to shut him up is to shut him up on the court. And that is going back to the fundamentals and doing the type of playing rather the type of basketball that got you here in the first place. And the Knicks haven't been doing that. I mean, yes, listen, the Atlanta Hawks are offensively talented. CP and I got into a huge discussion about this on the show they're offensively talented we're defensively talented that is why this series was supposed to be evenly matched right because one had what the other one quote unquote lacked now the Atlanta Hawks aren't a defensive disaster they actually play defense the Knicks are just you know that's their strong suit but they haven't even been doing that they haven't been resorting to the fundamentals that got them there I mean you can always play defense you can always defend the paint it's hard to defend someone who's shooting from the logo 30 feet out out, yes, but if you look, they look like a JV team out there. They don't look like any remnants. I don't see any remnants of the team that I saw all 72 games this season. I think that's the most frustrating part for Knicks fans because we know we can play better basketball than this. We can play more competitive basketball than this. And the only way to shut up those type of comments is to go ahead and get back to basics. And it's interesting you bring that up because for me, I feel like you see flashes of what they did in the regular season, but then it just goes away and the resort back to, you know, the old Knicks that we're used to seeing and making turnovers and careless mistakes. But and uh, is Julius Randle's underwhelming postseason so far based on his own abilities or uh, the game plan and the matchup coming from the Hawks? It's a little bit of both, I think, Chris. But first off, Ashley, I heard I heard the pain and the hurt in your voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hope for you and for CP and all the diehard Knicks fans, I hope they show up for you guys on Wednesday. But Chris. It is a little bit of both. And, you know, we referenced Clint Capella and part of their scheme has been to have Capella kind of shadow Randall and show. And then the strong side, when Randall's on the strong side, they load that strong side up. So he's seeing multiple bodies, even though it may not be a traditional strong double team, he's seeing a lot of attention. And Randall, the conversation throughout the series has been, let's make quicker decisions. That's what Tom Thibodeau has said throughout the series. Randall said it again today when he was speaking to the media. I just have to make quicker decisions. You saw him do some of that in game four. It wasn't enough. Maybe he takes it up a level in game five. But I think you have to give the Hawks credit for the way they defended him. Also, you're seeing Julius Randall take and miss the same shots that he took and made much of the regular season. Mid-range, covered, wide open, whatever it is. He made these shots in the regular season. He hasn't made them in the playoffs. So certainly you put some of it on him as well. And I think there was one point where he missed like two point blank layups right at the rim. And it's just indicative, you know, of how the series has gone for him. And CP, in your estimation, uh, what's been the biggest issue from watching Randall this postseason? 
first and foremost, Ian hit it right on the head. It's the shooting, right? I mean, 20 of 73 in this series. Um, a couple more from Vorkanoff of the Athletic. 9 of 36 from open or wide open range. 5 of 16 from open or wide open three. 9 of 21 from the restricted area. And as Ian said, a lot of the shots he's missing are the shots that he took in the regular season and hit at a high clip. But I think what McMillan is saying is that we'll settle for those long distance, uh, uh, lower percentage shots. We're going to shadow him with Capella because we, we don't have a stretch five on the court right now that's going to offer any type of threat. And, and we're going to gamble on the supporting cast beating us, which they haven't. And so that's also limited Julius from a playmaking standpoint. He hasn't made the best decisions. His outlet guys in Bullock and Barrett have missed wide open shots all series. They haven't been as effective. And so, you know, it, it's, it's really compounding the issue. And then I think the third thing, just having watched this series um, from all four games being there, I think he gets rattled a bit, both by the chippiness on both sides and, and by the moment. I think it's getting bright for him. And so the nerves are there as well. But firstly, it's shooting and the playmaking that are at the top of my list. Yeah, but I think that last point is key because this is his first postseason experience. And some people, I guess, were expecting that he was just going to transition into the playoffs and dominate, you know, the way he did in the regular season. But obviously, uh, that's not the case, both because of the Hawks defense and also, you know, some of his own issues. And actually, when you look at, you know, game five, in your perspective, is this something as simple? The Knicks will not win game five if Randall doesn't turn things around. Well, I mean, just piggybacking off of what CP said really quickly, I remember when we previewed this series on SNY, that was one of my main points, that Julius Randle had to be okay with two things and not get rattled by two things. One, the double team, it's going to come. They know that you are the prominent scorer on that team. They're going to double team you. What is your plan B and what is your plan C? He hasn't really come up with plan B and plan C yet. And I think that's why you've seen such a poor performance from him in so many of these games. And then also... You have to understand you're not going to get the calls. New York is notorious for not getting calls from the referees. The officiating is going to be very lopsided. It just is what it is. And Julius Randle just finds himself constantly falling into this trap. He allows himself to get flustered. He allows himself to get frustrated. He's more focused on arguing with the referee to change a call that's not going to get changed than he is on figuring out how to adjust to the pace and what's going on in the game. And that's why you see, like I said, such poor performances from him. But Chris, to answer your question, here's the thing. I think that game five is going to go to the Knicks for a few reasons. One, I think the crowd is going to go ahead and be a factor. I think that, you know, the officiating, the refs are going to let them play a lot more. In game five, you're back home in New York. I think that you're not going to get the same type of um, officiating style that we've seen in the last two games in Atlanta, to say the least. And I say this all the time, no matter how far Knicks fans will travel or any fan in that matter, you cannot reciprocate the energy of, of being home. I don't care how many Knicks fans were in Atlanta, you're still in Atlanta. And I think that, you know, he has to be okay with playing at home. But that's one of the things that concerned me after game one is I understand being nervous for the first quarter, the first half, but you're playing at home in front of your friends and your family and your supporters. You're supposed to feed off of that energy. That should have been the two best games of this series for Julius Randle. And it was the opposite. And then you go to Atlanta, you think it's going to be easier playing there. No, they're going to go ahead and try to get into your head. And they did. So he needs to go ahead and not only harness his inner Mamba mentality, if you will, harness the energy of the garden because there's nothing like it. They're there for you. Go ahead and feed off of that. Yeah, you One should think, uh, Chris, oh, ahead, just to piggyback off of what Ashley had said about Julius and CP too. 
One of the interesting things that I heard Randall talk about in his post-game interviews was on Sunday where he kind of equated this as a learning experience that's similar to what he went through year one in New York and then coming back year two because we all know, you know, he was the face of a really bad Nick team last year and he took the brunt of criticism from media and fans. He didn't play well. Uh, he knew it, but he didn't, you know, sulk in the offseason. He did not shrink. He went to work in the offseason worked on his shooting, worked on his playmaking, worked on uh, many different things, including his wind. And he came back the way he came back. And we saw the results on the floor. So I think that, yes, it's been disappointing for Julius Randle, but I think for, for Nick fans and for people who care about this team, I think it's important to remember the idea that he had transformed himself year one to year two in New York. And when he talks about the playoffs in a similar way, it just leads me to think about, okay, what can Randall do once he gets comfortable, once he mm -hmm. makes the adjustments the next time he's in the postseason? Obviously, Knicks fans don't care about that right now. They want to win game five. But bigger picture, I thought that was an interesting insight from Julius. Uh, it's, it's a great point because I feel like some Knicks fans are, you know, turning on Julius, which is really, which is really unfair because the guy balled out. He dominated the whole season. And, and then for him to have a, you know, a horrible postseason right now, you know, it's frustrating and you want the best out of your best players, but you got to cut the guy some slack and understand that, you know, he's not somebody like, uh, he's not a superstar yet. He's not somebody, you know, who is like LeBron James or Kevin Durant. So you got to give him a little bit of time. Uh, and please remember to make sure that you send in your comments, wherever on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, we'll try to get to them and answer as many as possible. And Ian, uh, we don't want to look too far past this postseason. But Randall was potentially looking at a bigger contract from the Knicks at some point. Could a disappointing postseason performance change that outlook? I don't think so. I think from a bottom line perspective, the Knicks throughout the regular season, or at least late in the regular season, were obviously committed to having Julius Randall here in New York beyond this current contract, whether that meant extending him in the offseason or re-signing him as an unrestricted free agent next summer. Nothing has changed about that, I don't think. Um, but I think that maybe the amount of the extension that they might offer him this summer, if they do go that route, this playoff performance could impact that. I think how you build the roster uh, once you have Julius Randle back here on a new contract, that could this playoff excuse me this playoff performance could impact that. Do you see him as uh, a number two, and you need to bring in a co-star? Uh, do you see him as maybe not fitting the role of a facilitator as well as you thought? And then do you, do you change your mind on what kind of point guard you're looking for? I just think it, it all matters, but I don't think anything that's happened over the last four games is going to change the idea that the Knicks want Julius Randle back beyond this current contract. But obviously, all, every bet is off if a superstar player becomes available via trade, because I think that depending on who the player is, uh, no one is untradeable on this roster. I think that was the case coming into this season. As crazy it is, is to say that about Julius Randle, you know, I think if the right deal came, uh, fell in the Knicks laps, you know, you would have to at least consider the idea of putting Randle in that package. But that's a big hypothetical and very low chance of that happening. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and Chris, if I can add to that, I just feel also, you know, I'm a big fan of not having to trade if I don't have to. I'm a big fan of keeping a foundation of players together 
you know, at all costs necessary. You know, you only trade when you're desperate to win a championship immediately. I think the Knicks are in a good position where they've exceeded the expectations of what was supposed to be a still a continuation of a rebuilding era. They've exceeded those expectations with the guys that they do have. Obviously, you can't keep everyone. That is the business of basketball. Somebody's got to go. People have to go. Rather, players, you know, everybody cannot stay. But I think Julius Randle has already shown that he is a big piece of this New York Knicks team. We would not be here without, you know, Julius Randle. Obviously, when Derrick Rose joined the team, that also was another piece that was responsible for, you know, pushing this team into the playoffs and into the seating that they ended up, you know, falling into. But I think that Julius Randle in the series has only shown that maybe he's a Robin and not a Batman. And that's okay because Robin needs Batman and every Batman needs a Robin and you can't be both, you know? So I think if you look at some of the other teams across the league, you know, like the Clippers, for example, I think even though they fell short last year in the playoffs, you saw what would, what happened when Paul George was not on his A game, right? Kawhi was still there to save the day. And I think that's what the Knicks are missing. When Julius Randle falls short, yes, you have Derrick Rose, but you don't have that Batman to be like, I got you. Let me do the work right now. And I think you see that how everything around Julius Randle falls apart when he's not on his A game. That will be completely different if you get him the Batman to his Robin, if you will. No, I think you bring up a lot of great points, Ashley, because you don't have that third elite scorer, right? You have Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, then Derrick Rose. You know, he'll have his games, but you don't have somebody you can shoot it from the outside and dominate, get any type of points that he wants when it comes to the time for the game. And CP, this is from King Deej. Uh, Will this do or die game force Tibbs to use Randall Obi as the four and the five? Uh, he's used it during the end of the game where it wasn't a game, but the fact that he tried it uh, was interesting. Shout out King Deej, big fan of Knicks Fan TV. What's going on, DJ from Staten Island? Um, it's possible. And, and I think that was one of the topics on our rundown is, is how, you know, what type of adjustments we make at the five. Uh, the fact that Capella doesn't have to guard a Taj or Noel because they're, they're non-factors um, for, in terms of spreading the floor. You know, OB's coming along, you know, dropped 13 points in game four. He's certainly playing a lot more confident. Now, will the Hawks respect his ability to spread the floor? Because when OB shoots at three, sometimes it's either dead on or completely off. So I'm not sure, you know, uh, where you're going to get from from the three point perspective. But uh, I'm also not sure if Tibbs is ready to to experiment that much or that early in the game with that combination. We were looking for that throughout the season. And maybe it would have helped if, if we would have seen, you know, more of a sample size for him to rely on in the in the playoffs. But I'm not so sure if, if Tibbs is going to take that gamble uh, with the game on the, with the seat with the series on the line. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's winner go home. So um, he needs to be very careful about the adjustments uh, and experiments that he makes in game five. And uh, before we move along, uh, Sam on our digital team wanted us to point out that Clint Capella is right now the number 11 trending topic on Twitter. No description, no similar hashtags listed, just Clint Capella with a link to Ian's clip and quotes from the comments. So Ian is trending. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats, Ian. <laughs> and well, let's focus now to the, the next point guard uh, situation. Jonathan Chevrez wants to know if Tibbs should start Alfred. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Peyton, if you should start out for Peyton again over Rose, of course, that was a big decision starting Derrick Rose. Uh, Ian, now that that decision has made itself in itself, uh, do you think that's the right the right call? You know, I didn't I didn't think there was any easy, obvious answer to replacing Alfred Payton and with Rose. Part of it was what happens with the bench and how does it impact the starting unit? And so I think you're kind of seeing that play out like the second unit, I think, has been hurt by by Derrick Rose's absence. And then, you know, the starting unit's been very good. They've gotten off to, to strong starts. Uh, but you just you, you wonder how it's impacted the chemistry of the group. Now, obviously, Alfred Payton was not playing to the level of, uh, you know, a starting point guard or particularly one that you need uh, to perform in the playoffs. So I understand the move from Tom Thibodeau. It had to be someone. It had to be something. The thing that I wonder is, you know, we haven't seen Frank Nelikina uh, besides, you know, 32nd spurts in this series. I wonder if that changes in game five. I don't think it will. I asked Tom Thibodeau about that today, and he didn't really give any specific details. He just said, listen, everybody has to be ready. Uh, but I wonder if Frank Nilakina can kind of slow Trey Young down. You know, we saw end of game one, Trey Young had his way with Nilakina, uh, getting to the basket, hitting that floater. But I wonder if he's if he's warm, if he's loose, if Nilakina can at least bother Trey Young in the ways that the other Nick defenders haven't been able to do. And Ashley, off of that point, what would you change, if anything, about the way the Knicks are handling their point guard situation in this series? Well, I, you know, I was a fan of, I advocated actually to start Frank um, over D Rose because of this very reason. I just felt like messing with the chemistry of that second unit was going to be dangerous. It works with D Rose on the floor with the guys that are accustomed to playing with him. Um, I was obviously all for benching Peyton, nothing personal. It just has not manifested the way that we had hoped. Um, you know, people thought, you know, we're not fans of my take on starting Frank, but I'm a firm believer that basketball is a game of possessions and it's a game of runs. And I think it's not how you start in a game, it's how you finish. And you can see with Derrick Rose now starting the game finishes a lot differently. You don't have those, you know, runs down the stretch. You don't have those bursts of just shooting just mania on the court. And it's drastically affected how the Knicks look, like I said, down the stretch. So I don't have an issue with starting Frank. I think, again, you know, worse comes to worse, you take them out, you know what I mean? But you, and you also have to be super careful with the amount of minutes that you allocate to Derrick Rose. Let's call a spade a spade. He is not a spring chicken anymore. And he has gone on record and said to Dwayne Casey, when he went ahead and asked for a trade, I'm on my last legs. I need to go someplace that has a chance. You cannot continue playing this man like he's 25 years old. He's not. Yes, he's a veteran. Yes, he's been here before. Yes, he's going to give you 120 25,000% when he's out there, but 
you can't beat father time father time's undefeated and you can't keep running d rose into the ground i don't know if you guys saw that last game he looked like he was limping to the bench like he did not look like somebody who has it in him to continue this trajectory if the knicks go ahead and win game five and even in game five we just have to be so very careful on how you utilize derrick rose and i think starting frank is the answer to that truthfully if you love listening to us here on Knicks Fan TV, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about our favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance to the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. No, that's a, that's a great point. I think that's something, you know, worth considering for, for Tibbs and on the Derrick Rose uh, issue. He's going to he's eventually going to run out of gas. It seems for him, you know, he'll start off well in the first and second quarter, you know, carry the team basically. But when you get to the second half, as you alluded to, he kind of runs out of gas, you know, because he doesn't have that same spring to a step that he once did. And uh, CP, when we look at the other point guard uh, who has been, you know, dominating the whole series, Trey Young, why have the Knicks been unable to shut him down uh, or at least just contain him uh, through his offensive game throughout the whole series? Uh, because he's been phenomenal, you know, 27 and 10 in this series, he's been a triple threat. Uh, he can give it to you in isolation. You know, he might throw up those 30 footers and, and take him with confidence. And in this series, he's knocked down a couple, but off of the pick and roll, he says he's just dangerous because the floater is almost automatic or he can get you with the lob to Capella because you, you're, you're shifting so much attention that way. Uh, and then if not, he's, he's throwing it out there to his three point shooters, whether it's Collins, or it's Bogdanovich who's been who's been had a great series. Gallinari, Herder, I mean, you name it. They had they had six guys in double figures in Game Four, and so we, we, you know we can't forget that Trey Young finished in the league second in assists this season. So he's been an outstanding playmaker, but he's also a bucket getter. And so the Knicks have no answer. You know, there, there's a balance, there's a a opportunity cost when you're starting Rose at, at the point. We know he's not a solid defender, and so this is why I was looking for Frank to kind of slide into that rotation just to bother uh, Young or bother some of those guys on the perimeter because right now we just, our perimeter defense is just getting torched. Whether it's Rose, it's Bullock, sometimes it's RJ, we just have no answer. And and all of that starts with Trey with Trey Young. He's just been outstanding. Uh, the defense uh, against Trey Young for the Knicks has been barbecue chicken. It's it's really hard to watch. Uh, it's great to see from, a, you know, just a pure basketball fan standpoint with Trey and what he does. But as if, if you're a Knicks fan, um, it's it's brutal. And Ian, this comes from JJ on YouTube. He's asking, should we put Burks into the starting lineup instead of Bullock? They're hiding Trey on Bullock and he isn't taking advantage. At least Burks can make him pay more. JJ and I are on the same page because I was going to bring that up anyway. <laughs> the idea that like they have Trey on defense. And, and I was talking to a scout before the series and he said, he said, 
you have to attack them on defense, make them guard you, put them in pick and rolls, uh, exploit that matchup on the other end of the floor. And also, you know, you could maybe get them a little tired. And that, and so there are a million reasons to go after him on the defense uh, when he's on the defensive end, excuse me. So Tom Thibodeau talked about this before game four, I think it was. And he said, look, we've been trying, we've done it. Uh, we've done the random pick and roll, putting them in a random pick and roll. Uh, we've twisted them where we've screened them on both sides or tried to screen them on both sides. And um, it just, it hasn't worked because Atlanta has covered it well and they've helped out for Trey Young. But the other issue is JJ notes, like you need somebody you need to force him to guard somebody who's a real threat off the dribble. So I, that to me makes a lot of sense. Bring Alec Burks in because at least he's a threat to take Trey off the dribble or he can back him down. You can, you can really take advantage of that matchup possession by possession because Reggie Bullock, you know, if he's not shooting threes, he's not a, tr a real threat to where Trey has to react. So that is the one thing here that surprised me. Another thing I should say that surprised me, the idea that they have Trey on the other end and they haven't really hammered that matchup a ton over the course of the series yeah because if you've got Alec Burks in there on Trey you know he can he's in there to score you know he can score from the outside but he also can take it to the paint and get great layups and more so that'd be something that you know I would also recommend for the Knicks to do if they want to keep themselves in the series and all right the pressure is on for the Knicks and we're asking you what the final result of this series will be will the Hawks and win in five perhaps six or go seven or will New York storm all the way back and advance to the next round, go to sny.tv slash vote now for this week's fan choice presented by 888 Sport. Bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY88. All right, let's go to the big guys. All right, so Ashley, uh, I'll have you first. The Knicks centers and big men have struggled in this series. Nerlens Noel is playing as well as he can, even though he's obviously hurting. Meanwhile, John Collins, Clint Capella, Neil Gallinari have had strong performances. What matchups and changes would you like to see in order to improve the battle of the big men in the Knicks' favor? It's hard to say, Chris, because you're not working with a lot. You know, I would say bring Mitch in, but he's not ready. It, it's, it's hard to go ahead and compete with a team that is healthy, that is deep. The Knicks are struggling in multiple positions because one, if somebody's injured or somebody's benched, you don't have much else to choose from that's reliable. And this is the same situation at center. You know, the guy who could possibly be the answer, you can't play him. Now, I don't know what the situation per se is with Mitch. If you read his Twitter feed, if you follow him on Instagram, he was good to go for game one in his mind. But, you know, that's why he's not paid the big bucks to go ahead and be a doctor or a physician, because sometimes you got to save a player from themselves, right? And I know Knicks fans want to go ahead and see him on the court, especially in a game five situation where it's like, look, do or die. We're going home if we lose anyway. So just go all systems ago. But, you know, to people who have that kind of mentality, I say this. You don't want to go ahead and put Mitch in a situation where he re-injures an injury that's borderline. And we've seen this before. We've seen it with Clay Thompson. We've seen it with Kevin Durant. When you bring a player back before they are ready, we've even seen it maybe with Anthony Davis, depending on what that situation, you know, the timeline of that situation kind of was iffy as well. You bring a player back because you're in a desperation situation and you make a bad situation worse. Now AD's out for game five. They don't know when he'll be back. Clay Thompson Thompson was out for the season. Kevin Durant was out for this. I mean, you don't want to put Mitch in that situation because if that is a piece that you continue to keep following into next season, one, he's already had a habit of being injury prone. 
So you don't want to go ahead and make that situation worse. And you want to have a healthy team going into next season. So unfortunately, at that position, you just kind of got to deal with what you have. And I know people don't want to hear that, but that's the reality, unfortunately, of this Knicks team is you don't have the depth like the Atlanta Hawks do. So you're just kind of making do with the best that you have. And the best that you have sometimes is not the most reliable. So unfortunately, to answer that question, there's not much you can do there. CP, do you see the situation the same as Ashley, or do you think there's some changes that they can do, uh, as given, you know, the fact that they are limited, you know, at the big man position right now? Well, the only thing they could do is go small, and that's either by going with Obi at the five or, or even going Randall with the five just to get some more shooting out there. Now, again, opportunity calls. So you're going to give up some on the rebounding side of things. And even, you know, Obi's defense has been there, but I don't think he has the, the defensive IQ or acumen that, that a Taj will give you from a veteran's perspective or even a Nerlens will give you from a rim protection uh, perspective. Now, Nerlens is hurt. You know, he's, he's banged up. He's given it all he has. And, and Taj has given us all he has. You know, he came off the street and, and really gave us a lift. And so we knew that battling Capella in this series was going to be a tall order, even if all those guys were healthy. Obviously, we, we miss Mitch, and I think he would have impacted this game in terms of, uh, you know, slowing down the pick-and-roll attack of the Hawks and battling Capella offensive rebounds you know one of the things about the hawks is that uh even though they beat us on the rebounds some of their rebounds are more impactful in that when they get the rebound they're off to the races and it gets back to trey you know and how he ignites them in transition and so the Knicks transition defense has been hurt as as a result of lack of effective rebounding so maybe they try to counter with more offense by throwing ob in at the five and and go from there but I'm, i'm not sure there's too much we can do there and, and even see, add, and adding to that real quick, the offense is is iffy too because you don't Julius Randle's not scoring. You know you can go small and you can go ahead and try to pound away going to your offensive side, but that only works if you're actually scoring points, which is not happening. So again, you're in a situation where it's like, okay, I can do this, but it's not going to result in the way that it should result because Julius Randle's not playing the basketball that we've seen him play all season. So that's another frustrating point as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful point, Ashley, because, yeah, CP, yeah, you put in OB or you have Randall at the five OB in for offense. But if they're playing like the way, well, if Randall's playing like the way he's playing, uh, that's not really going to make a huge difference uh, in game five. Ian, how much of an impact do you think, though, uh, Mitchell Robinson would have uh, made in this series if he was able to play? I mean, is he fully healthy or, or is he just coming off this injury? Because when you've missed that much time, any athlete, particularly NBA players, you're going to be out of rhythm. So it's going to take you a while to get back in game shape. I know you're not relying on Mitchell Robinson's jump shot, but still, even if he's, if he is out of rhythm, you know, he's not coming back at the Mitchell Robinson that he was before he got injured. So, you know, certainly he could help defend the rim, rebound the ball, but I don't know how much he could really impact things if they just brought him back for, let's say game six and seven, because he's been out for so long. And so, you look at this center position, Taj Gibson, what he's done at age 36, he's given you everything he has, and he really helped them win game two. So he's doing as much as he can do. I don't think you have a problem with how Taj Gibson's played. But Nerlens Noel, I think it's been a little – we haven't talked enough about the idea that he's hurt, right? He's limited by that ankle. And he was a big, big, big reason why they were so good defensively over the course of the season as a rim protector. I know – you know, rebounding is an issue and Capella uh, would hurt them there, even probably even if Noel was 100 percent, excuse me, 100 percent healthy. But he would bother uh, the Hawks in the pick and roll and 
Hawks coming to attack the rim if he was fully healthy and he's just not there. Right. And even if he does, if he doesn't block the shots, he has the ability, he has the length, you know, to alter some of those shots like Trey Young's floaters and other things. And whatever happens on Wednesday, uh, Ian and I will break it all down on the putback on Geico Sports Night. We'll react to game five results. So make sure to watch Geico Sports Night Wednesday night at 11 for us, plus highlights and reaction from the players and coach Tom Thibodeau. Final question uh, from Papa Left. I'll start with you, (laughs) Ian. Uh, Do you look at this season differently? If we lose game five, feels like it would be a stamp on the progression we made. It's a great question from Papa Left, one of my favorite people on Nick's Twitter. Um, I think that it depends on how they lose, right? If they get, if it's a replay of, of game four and they get crushed, uh, then it's, you know, that doesn't leave you with a good taste in your mouth uh, if you're the Knicks or you're their fan base. And, you know, the interesting thing is to me, even in late in the regular season, there was, you know, at least one prominent voice in the organization that felt like, Hey, this team was great. Let's, let's bring as many guys back as we can. When you talk about the Nerlens Noels and the Reggie Bullocks and Alex Burks, Alex Burks you know, the, the veterans who are on one year deals, but now in the wake of these four games, and let's say they lose game five, do you change how you operate in free agency on some of these players that you could re-sign based on what happened in the postseason. I don't know how much it would fully change anyone's thinking, but it certainly has to factor in. So that's something that I'm thinking about uh, when you talk about losing game five and the implications of it. Ashley, what about you? What what are your thoughts? Do you think we look at this season differently if they lose game five? Um, I'm 50-50. I agree completely with Ian. It's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. You know, unfortunately, basketball fans, front offices, organizations, they have short-term memories. They're only, you know, they only think about the last win or the last loss sometimes. So it's definitely, I think, going to be the lasting memory in the decision makers' mind as they maneuver through free agency and obviously the draft. Um, I don't think it's a failure of a season because the Knicks were not supposed to be here. You know, they have exceeded the expectations of not only their fan base, but the media as well. So I'm a firm believer that the postseason should not dictate an entire basketball season, whether that's paying certain guys, whether that's evaluating how a team did. Obviously, the postseason is different basketball. That's why they say once it starts, the regular season is no longer relevant. But I think when it comes to making decisions that will affect the team long term, it has to be relevant. You have to look at it in its entirety. And remember, this is a team that has a lot of young guys. The guys who are going to be part of the franchise for a very long time have not had the postseason experience like some other teams around the league and yes you can say the same about the Atlanta Hawks we just don't have that kind of talent so you're already in a deficit from multiple angles um I do think though you know going back to the original point it's going to affect how you maneuver through free agency maybe people that you thought were going to go ahead and be part of the team maybe now you're looking at them a little sideways you know like when you you go out with someone for a while and they do stuff to annoy you just kind of look at them sideways like I don't really it's not working for me anymore. There's something about you that's annoying. So that may be the case for some of these guys, but I think for the main guys, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, I don't think any decisions will be waved um, in the opposite direction for those guys. I think you'll see them next season for sure. I, I just have one question for Ashley because okay. I've been married <laughs> for six years. I get that side eye from my wife. Like, is that a bad thing? She's, you know, I'm you're annoying. doing you're doing something to annoy her, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> we waited six years. We're going to keep going strong, but I definitely get that look. So that one hit too close to home. 
<laughs> I tell you, Ian, I, it's so beautiful. It's so refreshing to see your comedic side open up because you're usually so tight, let me know, button up. But now you've started to show, you know, more personality. I really appreciate it. CP, what about you? Do you agree with, you know, Ashley and, and Ian as far as, you know, how we'll look at the season differently, you know, if they do lose in five games? I'm still going to look at it as a success. You know, even though they didn't compete as or haven't been competing as I expected them to in this series, I still picked Knicks in seven, but I was hoping for the better showing in, in terms in, in Atlanta. But I think Atlanta's talent is just proven out in this series and, and it might be a short one. But um, this has been this has been a tremendous success. We had a most improved player. We had a coach of the year candidate. Thibodeau and Julius are the reasons why we were in the fourth seed in the East. And and even we fans can't be short sighted that. And, and as Ian said, Julius has learned from last season and this season. He took his lumps, came back better. Now he's saying he's going to learn from the playoffs. He's going to take his lumps and hopefully come back better. We have to remember that the two biggest holes of this team are continuing to loom large in the playoffs, and that's at the point guard spot, and that is at the wing. We have to yeah. continue to understand that we have to improve in those areas. And so we are, we're a long ways to go. And we have to remember that this team has to continue growing, continue building, finding one or two players that are better than Julius, which is going to be very difficult. And until that time, we have to continue building as a small market team would. Look at the Utah Jazz and where they are right now. That had Walt Perrin's imprint on it. He's now here with the Knicks. So that they have to continue scouting, finding the, the, the players that's going to help elevate Obi Toppin's game, Mitchell Robinson, athletic guys that can get out and transition. That's the point guard. We have to continue drafting well. Now we're in the now we're in the bottom of the first round. We're at 19, 21. So it's going to put pressure on the scouting staff. It's going to put pressure on Rose and World Wide West. Is there a trade that they can package to move up and get this team better? So regardless of what happens in this series, we're playing with house money, but we have to understand that the long-term vision is to build a sustainable championship contender, and we're just not there yet. So yeah. that's how I see it. Yeah, we're not, they're not there yet. The Knicks are not there yet, but they're, they're also not that far away, right? Like, as you mentioned, they're one or two players away from being a legit contender in my mind, um, especially in the Eastern Conference. So they'll have a lot of work to do in the offseason, uh, depending when that is, if it's after game five or if it's later. Uh, but the future is bright. I think that's something that everybody can agree with about this Knicks franchise and the way they're leading things, especially at the front office level. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of The Putback with Ian Begley. Our thanks to Ashley Nicole Moss. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter and check her out on Geico Sportsline and CP of Knicks Fan TV. A pleasure, as always. For Ian Begley, I'm Chris Williamson. Thanks for watching The Putback, and we'll see you tomorrow night on Geico Sports Night. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.